Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 31 to 43. As you're turning there, let me give you a brief recap on where we've been. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for over a year and a half now. If you'll remember, the first three chapters were uh, really focused on the birth of Christ, uh, the narrative of the birth of Jesus, and then chapters four through chapter nine really centered on the miracles of Christ, the mighty works of Jesus. And chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through chapter 19, verse 27 is this long section in the book of Luke, the journey to Jerusalem, which Luke focuses in that section on the teaching of Christ, on the words of Christ. And we broke it down in several ways. We, we looked at what Jesus taught us about prayer. And we looked at what Jesus taught us about how to care for the least of these and what Jesus taught us about money and possessions. And we are finishing up kind of the the last several messages in this section. Uh, And after this section, it gets to the Passion Week, uh, chapter 19, verse 28, all the way through the end of chapter 24 is the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really how the gospel of Luke is broken down. In this passage today in verses 31 to 43, I want us to just get to know Jesus better. Amen, can we do that? Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? And taking the 12, he said to them, see, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray that by the help of your Holy Spirit, 
working through your word that we would see Jesus as he is revealed. Lord, help us to know him more and more today and love him more and more today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to break down this section of Scripture in three sections. First of all, Jesus, the son of David, verses 35 to 43. And then Jesus, the son of man, verse 31. And then Jesus, the suffering servant, verses 31 to 34. Let's look first at Jesus, the son of David. Verse 35, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Remember, this is the journey to Jerusalem. They would have traveled down the Jordan Valley, through Jericho, up to Jerusalem. They're close to Jerusalem, but not there yet. They're passing through Jericho. And there was a blind man sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. Jesus of Nazareth, the one whose fame had spread all over the place, the one whom they had heard about, that he healed the sick, that he gave the blind sight and the deaf hearing, that he, he loosed the, the mute mouths of those who could not speak. And when, they, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that might not be that significant to us here in 2022, but in those days, it meant something very significant. When he said, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, you are the son of David. I believe that you are the son of David. What he was saying was, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the promised king, the promised anointed one that was promised all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God promised David that he would set one of his descendants on the throne and he would be king forever and ever in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 11 to 13, the Lord says, in response to David's desire to build him a house. Remember, the Lord had taken up residence in the tent of meeting. His glory, his Shekinah glory was in the tent of meeting and, and David wanted to build him a house. And the Lord responds to the prophet Nathan and telling Nathan to tell David this. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In Psalm 132 verse 11, 
The psalmist says, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. This was the Davidic covenant, the Davidic promise that the Lord was going to bring forth one from the line of David who would be king forever and ever. The prophet Isaiah spoke of this king in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, and he said this, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament, the promise of the son of David. And the blind man cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 39, it says, And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting that the blind man saw Jesus. He saw that in Jesus was the fulfilled promise of God. The promise to send one in the line of David who would bring righteousness and peace and justice and who would sit on the throne forever. And the blind man saw that in Jesus and he believed. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, watch this, he said, Lord. Now, this was the word that was used, kurios, and it was the word that was used for the divine name, Lord. He was calling Jesus Lord. He was recognizing him as the Lord, and he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And if You have a study Bible, you'll probably look down at the notes and literally that phrase, your faith has made you well, is your faith has saved you. Your eyes to see that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that He is the Son of David is a saving faith that comes from above. It's the grace of God in your life and your faith has made you well. It's not the faith that saves, it's Jesus that saves and the faith is the means of receiving that salvation. And the blind man received salvation that day and he received his physical sight as well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, 
gave praise to God. One of the emphases in the Gospel of Luke is that when people believed, they gave glory to God, they praised God. They credited God for the salvation that they were receiving. They didn't see it in and of themselves in any way. They saw salvation as a gift of grace and they praised God for it. Jesus is the son of David. Let me ask you this question. Do you see in Jesus all the promises of God finding their fulfillment? That he is the Messiah, the promised one, the one who comes to sit on the throne forever and ever in the line of David. Do you see Jesus as who he said he is, the son of David? Number two, Jesus, the son of man. Look back at verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, See or behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, Son of Man was the title that Jesus used most, most of the time for himself, the Son of Man. The Pharisees hated it when he used that title because they knew what it meant. It was taken from Daniel chapter 7, from verse 13 and 14, when Daniel saw in a vision, he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus was revealing himself in that title that he is the son of the father, the son that is granted the kingdom, one that would never pass away, the one that has dominion and authority over all people's nations and languages that they should serve him. The psalmist recognizes the same thing in Psalm 2 when he says this, why do the nations rage? and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, the the Lord, the, the anointed is the son of man, the one that is given the kingdom. He is the Messiah of God. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all those who take refuge in him. When Jesus uses the title Son of Man, it comes with all of the kingly language in the scriptures that he is the anointed one of God, the one that has given the kingdom, the one that rules and reigns over all the nations. So it would be shocking what he would reveal to the disciples next. Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, the son of man, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, would be handed over to the Gentiles. He says in verse 32, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. If you think about this, as we just looked at Psalm 2, at the very beginning, why do the nations rage? Why do the Gentiles rage? This is the kingly language. They're raging against the Lord and against his anointed. And Jesus tells his disciples that the Son of Man will be handed over to the Gentiles. So let's look number three at Jesus the suffering servant, verses 31 to 34. And taking the 12, he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Not only will he be handed the kingdom, not only will the kingdom be delivered to him and all nations will serve him, but he will suffer as the suffering servant. Before he gets to glory, he will be humiliated. Humiliation before exaltation. Verse 32 says, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And every single one of these, there is a definiteness that this will happen. He will be spit upon. He will be mocked. He will be flogged. He will be shamefully treated because everything that is written about him in the prophets must be accomplished. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, Scripture says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting he must be spit upon. Psalm chapter 22, 
verses 14 to 18. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verses 16, or chapter 16, verses 8 to 10, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. See, he must rise on the third day before corruption takes place. The corruption of the body, the decay of the body, he must rise on the third day. Everything that is written about the Son of Man and the prophets must take place. In the preeminent passage from Isaiah chapter 53, prophesies of the Son of Man, the suffering servant, who would lay down his life as an atonement for sinners and would be raised up again and would make intercession for his people. Isaiah 53 verse 3 and following, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, 
He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Resurrection. He will be crucified. He will be buried. And he will be raised again. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is the suffering servant prophesied, promised in Isaiah, in the Psalms. So he's not only the King of kings and Lord of lords, he was the one that humbled himself by taking upon himself flesh and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Paul says in Philippians, therefore, God has exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humiliation precedes exaltation. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says this in chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The pathway to glory for the suffering servant was crucifixion and death and resurrection so that we could be reconciled to God. Do you see in Jesus all that was promised? Not only the king and deliverer, but how he would deliver through death and resurrection. Do you see that you need him to deliver you? See, many people don't see in him as the suffering servant and don't see the need for a suffering servant. In fact, to the Jews, it was shameful. It was ridiculousness to the Jews to talk about a suffering servant. The Messiah was the king. They didn't see that he needed to suffer. But the good news of Jesus is that Christ died for our sins. And he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. And he was seen by the apostles. He was seen that we could know that he was raised and that we could have eternal life by trusting in him. So what do you do with this? As believers in Christ, one thing is just rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the good news that that you are loved by God 
and Christ died for your sins, that, that he disrobed himself of glory and took on human flesh and humbled himself to come and die in your place to reconcile you so that, so that you could be forgiven and spend eternity with Christ. So rejoice in the gospel but also rejoice in your sufferings. You may be going through something very difficult right now. You may be in a very low place, in a very humble place. And the Apostle Peter points us back to the humiliation of Jesus before his exaltation to give this encouragement from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In chapter 5, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Even as you see these titles of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, the son of man, Jesus, the suffering servant, I pray that today that you would be strengthened and encouraged and rejoice in the good news of the gospel and rejoice in your sufferings, even the low place that you may find yourself right now, taking hope that in the same way that the pathway to the exaltation of Jesus was lowliness and suffering, it's the same way for the Christian. So we follow in his example, looking to him and trusting that God will exalt his people one day. Let's pray together. And Father in heaven, I pray that, that you would help us, that you would help your people today to be like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ, to be humble in our estimation of ourselves, to endure suffering, to look to our Savior, trusting that at the proper time, you will lift up your people. And Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know the Savior, that by your grace and working through your word, that the Spirit would open blind eyes, that just like the blind person who was physically blind, you granted spiritual sight to see that Jesus was who he says that he was, and that that the man put his trust in Jesus, and in the same way, I pray that you would grant faith to those who need a Savior today. So save sinners today for the glory of our Christ, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.